0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson show podcast. hour three. Hello America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program. Several years ago now, 20, 2019, I think it was a uh, sunny bunch. Who's a movie reviewer. Um, right said, been at the free beacon. And I guess he's at the bulwark now. And, and, He's a great movie reviewer, although I don't always align in his views. He's always very insightful, though. He's essentially one of the things that, that Sonny has uh, taught me in just listening to him on his podcast and in his writings is how you and I may like or hate a movie, and a movie reviewer is not necessarily there to judge it as a good movie based on you were entertained by it, but other things. Um, although I just I want to be entertained, and if I don't like it, I don't like it. But nonetheless... He wrote a piece in 2019. I was thinking about it because of a news headline over the weekend, uh, and it is essentially how environmentalists are such good villains. This is uh, what a part of what he wrote. Uh, Radical environmentalists have really been taking it on the chin at the multiplex. They are perfect villains for our times. Well intended enough to often seem somewhat reasonable but meddlesome busybodies whose hopes and dreams are to radically reduce standards of living in order to affect some utopian scheme or another that will return the world or worlds to an unsullied Eden. Thanos, the victim and protagonist, really, of the $2 billion grossing mega hit Avengers Infinity War, was basically an omnipowered Paul Ehrlich. Whereas the comic book version of Thanos sought to kill half the universe in order to prove his love for an anthropomorphized death, the film version was driven insane by his home planet's self-immolation after a series of resource wars. Determined to eliminate suffering over food and land, over clean water and clean air, Thanos used the Infinity Gauntlet not to create abundance of each, but to kill half of all living things. Spoiler alert, I guess I should say. Spoiler alert. Again, this is Ehrlichian in its madness. The author of the population bomb argued for years the planet is overpopulated and that famines will wipe out a significant portion of humanity. It could still happen, I suppose. Global warming could inspire an interstellar-style blight. The skies could go dry, but... Frustratingly for the doomsayers, life on Earth keeps getting better despite the overpopulation. Aquaman's surprise hit racked up over $800 million worldwide. Uh, and while Jason Momoa's brotastic turn as Arthur Curry earned deserved plaudits from male and female audiences alike, it's Patrick Wilson's king Orm who caught my eye. Orm hopes to unite the underwater clans of Atlantis. In order to create an unstoppable army that will destroy life on the planet's land masses. Orm's no madman. His genocidal war is not the result of personal trauma or ideological insanity. It's a version of self defense. The surface dwellers dump their, tra- dump their trash in the water, strangling the sea life. The surface dwellers spew their smoke into the skies, choking the ocean with particulates. You know, there was also uh, that movie Kingsman. Um, it, was a, it was a fun movie. I like it. They've had a, a couple after it. But um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson plays the bad guy who wants to save the world's elite. Uh, and in doing so, wants, wants to save the planet. He's engineered a plot to kill pretty much all of us except for a chosen few in order to save the world and save humanity. Uh, and it's not just that one, too. Godzilla and Godzilla, particularly the second Godzilla it's the the bad guys want to destroy the planet, destroy humanity to save the planet. They want to summon the, the Titans, the, the giant monster creatures to battle Godzilla. And by destroying humanity, they will make the planet pristine. It's a theme in a lot of movies that the environmentalists make the perfect bad guy because they're convinced their cause is righteous. They are convinced they're saving humanity from itself. And this is in fact a theme throughout humanity as well of of people who's like, we're gonna save humanity from themselves. I mean, my goodness, the communists, the communists wanted to to, to save people from themselves and and their overlords, it was class envy and class warfare and, and the poor would take on the rich and we would take from those who have and give to those who have not. And it turned out terrible. I mean, hundreds of millions of people starved to death and killed. Because of communist regimes, but they meant well, people, they meant well, and you should at least acknowledge they meant well, just like the environmentalists. Well, I'm reminded of all of this because of a story in the London Telegraph. This is the headline, climate change activist goes rogue, releasing mini volcanoes to cool the planet. A Mexico-based startup will next week launch sulfur particles into the stratosphere in a rogue move to create a mini-volcano effect it says could help cool the planet. The technique, known as stratospheric aerosol injection, mimics the impact of volcanoes by using a weather balloon to release sulfur creating a cloud of particles that reflect the sun's rays and have a cooling impact. It's one of several geoengineering techniques being studied as a way to cool the planet to avoid breaching internationally agreed limits on global warming. The amount of particles the startup Make Sunset's plans to release in coming days, up to two kilograms, will make a minimal difference to overall warming. But experts in geoengineering say the launches set a dangerous precedent for private companies or governments to interfere with the planet's atmosphere. We can weave Bill Gates into this one, you know. Bill Gates was questioned last week on him flying a private plane. Private planes uh, spew out more pollution than commercial aviation. Listen to Bill Gates when questioned on this. Well, I I buy the gold standard of funding Climeworks to do direct air capture that far exceeds my family's carbon footprint. And I spend billions of dollars on on climate innovation. So, you know, should I stay at home and not come to Kenya and learn about farming and malaria? I'm comfortable with the idea that not only am I not part of the problem by paying for the offsets, but I also through the billions that my Breakthrough Energy Group Is spending that I'm part of the solution. Now that music was background there on the TV show, but see, Bill Gates says he's part of the solution. He spends his money on climate offsets so he can fly his commercial plane or, or private plane conveniently to Kenya when he could take a commercial airliner, not pollute as much still do the carbon offsets. But no, no, he says he's part of the solution and he has the money to spend to be part of the solution. I wonder if he talked to Jeffrey Epstein about that. The rich environmentalists seem to be the most noxious ones because they're the ones who are convinced that not only are they part of the solution, they are the solution. And it's the rest of us who are the bad mouth breathers. And now they're funding companies that have decided they're going to do this themselves. What if something goes wrong? I mean, this wasn't the first one. You know, they've also floated, for example, the idea of literally floating into outer space a, a giant screen that would block the sun's rays, that would reduce the warming on the planet. I, I just, I've, I've got the sneaking suspicion that some of these people are going to do something that hurts all of us. And they're not going to care about it because it might actually, by killing us off, save the planet. And so mission accomplished. They won't be able to accept they've done something wrong. I mean, Bill Gates, I I personally find the man a a level of like like supervillain the stuff that he funds these days in consumed by his own sense of righteousness, his own sense of, of knowing what's best. He can make these decisions using his own money to affect the rest of us. One of the things I find most noxious in all honesty, and this triggers some people. And I guess I need to give a trigger warning. Uh, Gates has been involved in this and others Uh, going to Africa. And instead of giving people afflicted with malaria, DDT or pesticides to kill mosquitoes they just tell them no no sleep in the netting sleep under netting at night and avoid the mosquitoes we're not going to give you the actual chemicals that could save mass amounts of you because we're okay if you actually die because you're a mouth breather Instead, just sleep under a net at night and avoid getting bit by the mosquitoes because of your mosquito netting. The whole thing seems like, uh, I mean, there's your colonizers. There's your colonialism. These rich white Westerners who won't allow Africans to spray low dose DDT to wipe out mosquitoes and save lives and avoid malaria and other, um, other infections spread by mosquitoes. No, no, we want you to sleep under nets and I will give you money for nets and you're not allowed to spray the chemicals. We're not going to give you the chemicals. Now they're doing it to the rest of us as well. These rich people have decided they're going to fund balloons to go into the atmosphere to spray sulfur. By the way, we went through this whole thing before I was born in the 1970s about sulfuric acid and, and acid rain. Remember acid rain? Acid rain, the the sulfur particles, they get in the atmosphere, they mix with other things. They make acid rain. Yes, acid rain, not good rain, polluting rain that causes reactions with concrete and other, other things on the ground and erode stuff. It's bad. Acid rain is bad. And we got worked very hard over years to get the sulfur out of the atmosphere and clean the air. And now they want to pollute the air to save the planet. And there's no government willing to stop these people. They're going to get us all killed, and they'll be happy about it because less mouth-breathers means a healthier planet as the worms eat us. These people are insane. Environmentalists are the enemy. (laughs) I mean, not all of them, I guess, but some of you know, um, Daryl Hannah, the actress, she's she's a big environmentalist. I've always admired this about her. She doesn't fly anywhere anymore. She has a windmill in her backyard to supply her power. She has solar panels. As well, she's a true believer. She she's not flying on private jets everywhere. She she's got a windmill and a solar panel in her house to provide her energy. She she actually preaches what practices what she preaches as opposed to a Leonardo DiCaprio who flies the world looking for 19-year-olds to date while telling us all we've got to stay home he can afford the carbon offsets you can't afford the carbon offset so you're bad like Bill Gates he got a he has his private plane you know one day i want to be successful enough to have a private plane and i'm not paying for the carbon offset i'm going to fly over Bill Gates's house and look down and laugh sucker I mean, he's doing the same thing. He's just spending extra money so he feels good about himself. The indulgences these people spend—it it really is a religious argument. You know, back in the what the medieval period when the Catholic Church was building the Vatican, they sold indulgences. If you if you buy this, you get out of purgatory. You go straight to heaven, and the funds help us build the Vatican. That's what these environmentalists are doing. The carbon offset is their indulgence. We're going to buy this so we can still indulge in our lifestyle. And claim we're bringing heaven to earth. It's a religious scam of the secular left. So my kid has a queen-size bed. We've got a king-size bed. We got him bull and branch sheets, and he's used them. He had, like, kid sheets, and now he's old enough he doesn't want the the action figure sheets anymore. Well, we got lost because, I mean, the sheets look like our sheets, except they're queen-size sheets, and they got put in our closet, and the kid was in despair, we got him Bowling Branch sheets. They've gotten softer and softer. And he's like, where are my real sheets? He refused to sleep until we found the real sheets because they're that soft. They're that good. They're made with a 100% organic cotton thread. They get softer in every wash. You can stay cozy all winter long with a set of bowl and Branch sheets. They really are that good. We have them on multiple beds in our house. My goodness. my uh, Seriously, my kid, uh, he's like, my sheets are for kids. I'm, I'm grown up now and... Uh, it's just a, a step of quality above what he had. And now he's like, can't sleep without these sheets. They're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They're made without toxins. They're free of pesticides, formaldehyde other chemicals. They fit the deepest mattress too, which I love because we have a very thick mattress on our bed and it fits. It doesn't like bunch up and then snap off in the middle of the night. When you roll over, you can get 15% off your forced order. Bowling Branch sheets when you use promo code Eric at com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Branch B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com. The promo code is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. If you want to be on the program, the number is 877 973 7425. There's an interesting story out in Compact uh, about the class war inside the Democratic Party, which is to be expected in all honesty. Um, it, it just it, think. It, So much focus these days on the problems within the Republican Party. There are objectively problems within the Republican Party. What I find very interesting is when I concede the fact that there are problems within the Republican Party, a lot of Republicans, I can't. Why are you focusing on our problems? Why do you think we have problems? They're all made up. No, no, no. The Republican Party has problems. You might as well acknowledge the GOP does have problems. What's so notable, though, is how defensive Democrats are about their problems. The same thing happens. You get Republicans who, when I point out there are problems in the party, they get very mad at me for doing so. And Democrats get mad at me for pointing out their problems. I, for example, last week spent time saying, yes, the Republican Party has problems, but nobody wants to talk about the Democrats' problems. And I got angry Republicans, how dare you say we have problems in our party? Have you not looked around, people? Good Lord. But the Democrats have problems nobody wants to talk about. And that's my point. Acknowledge we got issues, but the Democrats do too, and everybody ignores them. The class issue is one of the big problems of the Democratic Party. For a very long time, the Democratic Party had been a coalition of academic white people and lower-income blue-collar workers of various races. Increasingly, there's a huge problem with the Democratic Party being more and more a party of rich white people and poor non-white people or middle-class non-white people who have less and less in common. If you are a non-white person, regardless of income, incidentally, you have a greater chance of believing in a higher power. Rich white people do not believe in God. So there's a a comedian, Uh, Neil Brennan is his name, I, I think very highly of him. Uh, he is a a, a liberal. Uh, also, he he says he's a he's a natural Catholic. He did Catholic confirmation, atheism, uh, and he has this uh, bit in in one of his latest routines on Netflix about how atheism is the height of white privilege because you you have someone come to you and say um, it, I, I want to tell you. How to get to a better life than this. And the rich wipers are like, really? Something better than this? I don't think so. <laughs> I, tell you, I mean, he makes a very good point of it um, that, that I'm just going to take my supplements and. and Live my best life now. The, the the rich white people, and in the Democratic Party, that's becoming a real problem because there's a growing movement on the right that's willing to have bigger government spending and more social welfare programs that people on the left have long advocated for, and they're less contemptuous of people on the faith, uh, people of faith on the right than people on the left. As the Democratic Party becomes more and more beholden to rich white secular atheists. They're beginning to alienate Hispanic voters, black voters, Asian voters across the board. And they don't even see it. It's becoming a class warfare issue. The other problem with people on the left who are rich, in particular rich atheists, is they believe that um, their lifestyle is good and they don't recognize that poorer people cannot afford their lifestyle. You who are rich and can pay for your abortions and abortion drugs can have rampant promiscuous sex but a poor person can't. You can use your cocaine and pay for your rehab. A poor person can't. This great disconnect among the secular elite of the left is going to break up the Democratic party and it's happening before our eyes. The media just prefers to ignore the whole thing. They're gonna ignore it till it's too late. It's gonna be glorious to watch. Hello folks, it's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of the program, you are more than welcome to call in. I mentioned this earlier and it's worth talking about. Um, Nate Cohen has this um, from in the New York Times. Uh, Ron DeSantis is not Scott Walker. You know, I've been hearing this a lot as well uh, from a lot of people. Let's step back to 2016. Scott Walker was governor of Wisconsin. By the way, super nice guy. Really like Scott Walker. Uh, Every interaction I have had with Scott Walker has been fantastic. He is a great governor in Wisconsin. And there are a number of very large donors in that area of the country, in the upper Midwest, who were intrigued by Scott Walker, wanted him to run for president. And Scott Walker had beaten the left in Wisconsin, a state that had historically been Democrat. I mean, we get a lot of bad ideas from Wisconsin in the early 1900s, the progressive movement. They, I mean... Uh, the, the primary system and, and uh, the direct election of senators and things like that. A lot of the Wisconsin progressives pushed that stuff. And yeah, direct election of senators is a bad idea, they should be appointed by governors approved by state legislatures per the constitution. Originally, nonetheless, um. But a lot of them wanted Scott Walker to run. The, the problem is Scott Walker did not really have outside of that part of the country. He didn't really have a natural constituency except for political nerds who really paid attention to things. Your average American was didn't know who Scott Walker was. Was not tuned into who Scott Walker is. It just it wasn't a thing. And that's different from DeSantis. There, DeSantis is a larger out of the gate constituency. So Nick Cohn has this at at, uh, the New York Times. Is Ron DeSantis the next Scott Walker? It's a question I've been hearing a lot lately. The premise is that there's an important similarity between the two. They both earned the affection of conservatives by owning the libs as governors, rather than by giving soaring speeches or otherwise demonstrating the skill to win a presidential nomination. In the end, Mr. Walker's success in Wisconsin did not translate to the national stage. The implication is that Mr. DeSantis's success in Florida might not translate either. A wave of articles over the last few weeks has questioned whether he has the charisma, charm, and likability to win the nomination. If he falters, the ending of his campaign might read a lot like the story of Walker for president. But at least at the beginning of the race, Mr. DeSantis is no Scott Walker. He would start the campaign in a very different position in a far stronger position. What sets Walker and DeSantis apart to be blunt? How many people already say they want Ron DeSantis to be president? DeSantis has 32% support in polls taken since the midterm election. That's not a fleeting product of a wave of favorable media coverage. Instead, he's made steady gains over the last two years. Mr. Walker, in contrast, had 7% in the early polls. Looking back, it's striking how rare it is for a first-time candidate to hold this level of support. Since 1976, only six candidates who hadn't previously run for president or vice president had managed to consistently attract more than half of Mr. Desantis's support in the early polls. Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Rudy Giuliani in 2008, George W. Bush in 2000, Ted Kennedy in 80, and Reagan in 76. Let me put this in greater perspective for you here. When you're looking to 2024 and you see where Ron DeSantis is in the polling, if you want something comparable, Ron DeSantis is roughly a third of the Republican Party is locked in immediately out of the gate for Ron DeSantis. In 2008, Rudy Giuliani had a third as well, and Hillary Clinton did on the Democratic side. Barack Obama, by the way, had 20% in 2008. Barack Obama had the lowest for a primary of built-in support out this far from the election. Second was Ronald Reagan in 76. He had 28%. He didn't go the distance against Ford. The one I've been comparing this to is is Bush in 2000. Bush had 44% of the Republican electorate locked in in 2000 before he even ran. A year before the Iowa caucuses, Bush had 44%. Ted Kennedy had 70, 47% in 1980 and arguably cost Carter in 1980 by dividing the Democratic Party. He didn't go to the distance. When you look at the the list of people, you've got Kennedy in 80 at 47%, Bush at 44% in 2000, Clinton at 35% in 2008, Giuliani at 33% in 2008, DeSantis at 32% for 24 Reagan at 28% in 76, Obama at at, uh, 20% in 2008. Obama went the distance. Reagan came back in in 80 and one. And then you have George W. Bush. So it's not meaningful, per se, in in the win-loss record of these candidates, but it is meaningful in the sense that DeSantis rates in a way none of the other candidates do. And so among political nerds, there's this idea, among political nerds in particular, and I I mean that lovingly, but it is political nerds, people who really pay attention. They're like, oh, this reminds me of the Scott Walker buzz from 2015. Everybody's like, oh, Scott Walker. But it's not really true. In 2015, Scott Walker had 7% of Republicans saying he should run for president. In 2023, the year before the presidential race, just like Walker in 2015, Ron DeSantis is 32 percent of the Republican Party saying he should do it. That's closer to George W. Bush in 2000, and I've been making this analogy a lot, and I hope it's getting some traction because I really do think it is true. With some, there are obviously differences. It's not perfect, but in 1998, George W. Bush flipped Texas blue. Everybody thinks about Texas as this uh, locked-in red state. It wasn't true in 1998. In 1998, you had a majority of the federal delegation was Democrats, senators and congressmen. Uh, the state legislature was Democrat. In '98, Bush flipped that state bright red, and it has been ruby red ever since. Only now do Democrats think they're starting to trend in a good direction in Texas, and it hasn't been bearing out of the polls at the state level or the federal level. And in 1998, Bush's win was so dominant for the GOP The donors and the activists, the voters all started looking at him saying, maybe we should go with this guy for the Republican primary. Maybe we should go with this guy for 2000 for president and a year before the Iowa caucuses, 44% of the GOP said, let's go with George W. Bush and McCain tried to be the thorn in his side. It didn't work. Bush got the nomination. 2023, a year before the Iowa caucuses, a third of the Republicans say, let's go with DeSantis. DeSantis took a state that had, since I was little, been a blue state and then a swing state, and he made it ruby red. The legislature locked in for the Republicans, majority of the congressional delegation for Republicans. In fact, all the statewide Democratic officeholders wiped out. It's a completely Republican state now. Georgia is more of a swing state than Florida at this point. North Carolina is more of a swing state than Florida. And Florida has about, what, 30 electoral college votes or so? So just like 98 to 2000, a lot of Republican donors and base voters were looking at George W. Bush. They're doing the same thing now with DeSantis. He took a state off the field for the Democrats. A state with a substantial number of electoral college votes is now the Republicans' hands. You combine it with Texas. You you, you got to you go a long way towards offsetting California, New York. California is still dominant in the Electoral College, and the Democrats have a lock on it. Now the Republicans have a lock on two of the fastest growing states in the nation. So that's different from Scott Walker, where the nerds are like, yeah, he he flipped Wisconsin red, but he didn't lock it in for the red, and only seven percent in two thousand fifteen were intrigued. This is Nate Cohen in the New York Times. The way Ron DeSantis got this strength is relatively impressive as well. Unlike three of the six candidates, he is not the direct relative of a former president. What does this mean? Well, when you look at the strength of this, you had uh, Clinton, you had Bush, you had Kennedy. He's not a non-political national hero in the aftermath of September 11th like Rudy Giuliani. The two remaining candidates who did not benefit from a family name or an exceptional historic event are Ronald Reagan and Barack Obama, arguably the two most impressive political figures of the last half century. There's no need to speculate about whether Mr. DeSantis is the next Reagan or Obama, not even Mr. Obama and Mr. Reagan were clearly Obama or Reagan at their stages. Mr. Reagan and Mr. Obama differ from Ron DeSantis in the very same way that he's purportedly similar to Mr. Walker, as both Obama and Reagan rose to prominence by commanding the national stage in famous speeches during their parties' campaigns in 1964 and 2004. But even if Ron DeSantis is not a renowned orator, it could be a mistake to assume that his popularity is nothing more than the sum of the political capital accrued from his policy moves. The simplest explanation for his unusual popularity in the Republican Party is the Republicans haven't just liked what he's done, but they've liked what they've seen and heard so far. His charisma may not be what won them over, but Republicans probably aren't under any illusion that he's as charismatic as Reagan or Obama. At this point, Republicans have seen and heard a lot, and they like him. I spent a good chunk of my second hour on Tim Scott announcing he's running. In fairness, I spent the same amount of time on Nikki Haley. When each of these people announce their are running, I intend to spend a monologue letting you get to know them without a lot of the criticisms. I, I'm, I'm trying to be favorable and fair to all of them. But you can't avoid the fact that both Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump do loom large over all the other candidates who may run for president of the United States. Donald Trump has a built-in, hardcore constituency. But so does Ron DeSantis. I thought it was notable there's a kind of nutty political activist in the state of Georgia. No reason to give names to the insane. But this political activist announced the activist would vote for Ron DeSantis over Brian Kemp in Georgia's general election. Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, beat the hand-picked Trump candidate David Perdue in the Republican primary and trounced Stacey Abrams and this political activist announced she would be riding in Ron DeSantis against Brian Kemp. And now on her Twitter feed announces that Globalist Coke um, funds, um, is backing Ron DeSantis and hates Donald Trump. Much coordination going on in secret with globalists conspiring to use DeSantis to take down Trump, then MAGA. The conspirators will be outed. So suddenly Ron DeSantis is coke-backed globalist taking down MAGA. These people are nuts. Um, The Trump machine wants to take out Ron DeSantis. Now the question is, can they? And DeSantis is doing his best to ignore the attacks. DeSantis is doing his best to focus on governing Florida. I have a suspicion. I have no inside knowledge on this. My suspicion is that Ron DeSantis is actually going to run for president as everyone seems to think. The rumor is he's vetting people right now to help him. My suspicion is that he will wait until after the Florida legislature wraps up. He doesn't want to be accused of being distracted. He doesn't want to be accused of putting his national aspirations above his job. So he'll wait for the Florida legislature to go home, and then he'll announce he's running for president. By then, he'll have his campaign staff picked. I hope he uses great discernment in picking them out. But I think that will fundamentally change the dynamics of the polling in the race. I welcome everyone into the race, and I'm not endorsing anyone. I have many of them who are my friends, but I do not think you can deny the fact that a lot of the base and a lot of the donors are moving rapidly to DeSantis. He has not announced he's running for president, but everybody expects him to, and a lot of them are ready to move on from Trump. And it would not surprise me if we see a a big fight between Trump and DeSantis. And if there is, right now I think DeSantis is smart to hold his cards close and not respond to the Trump attacks and instead just be a good governor for the state of Florida. That will matter. What matters for you is, well, your money right now, particularly the way the markets have been and inflation has been. We're still got high inflation. Gold sometimes can help you there. If you want to get educated about gold and how you can use it in your investments, whether it's your IRA, your 401k, your general investing, if you just want like a a gold bar that you keep under your bed or something, you know, somebody you can reach out to is Advantage Gold. They are TrustLink's number one highest-rated gold company seven years in a row. They've got the best prices, the best staff, the best IRA department in the country. They're ready to help you protect your retirement account. They're ready to help you learn more about precious metals and how to use them for investing. Their number's 800-450-2566. They'll give you a free gold IRA investment kit that tells you what you need to know. Call 800-450-2566 today. Tell Advantage Gold I sent you. They are amazing people. They can answer your questions. I myself had questions about using gold. Just, I mean, the why, the the hedge against inflation, all the rumors and myths and stuff. They're very good at debunking the myths and also explaining to you what you can do. And they're not selling you certificates claiming you own gold. They'll actually work with you on buying actual, the real physical gold. Uh, and They can teach you how to use it in, as part of a retirement strategy or just an investment strategy. 800-450-2566. Advantage Gold, they're, they are, they're investment professionals, but they're also educators. They're very good at answering your questions and educating you about precious metals in your investment strategy. 800-450-2566. Call, them, call Advantage Gold. Tell them I sent you. All right. So I, confession time. Um, Not real confession. I'm just I'm actually really fascinated by this. There is a, there's actual real research, uh, that walking barefoot in the grass actually does your body good. I don't quite understand the research, but medical professionals I trust say, yeah, there actually is a lot of research and more and more, uh, there is, um, a push to get people to spend some time barefoot. Now here's my problem. My backyard is a muddy, muddy mess. I've, we've at some point we got to get it fixed um and I've priced it and it's it, I mean it's ridiculous. I might as well build a new house uh, given the estimates on on fixing up my backyard it's just or build a build a man cave or something it, it's kind of ridiculous how much something like that costs but I'm that I thought it was astroturf at first last night at the Super Bowl but they've come out with a new grass it's called tahoma 31. It's among the newest breeds of grass. They've been developed uh, with funds from the U.S. Golf Association. So Tahoma 31 is a mix of Bermuda and rye grass. It was developed at Oklahoma State University. Uh, The professor who started the process of creating it uh, began in 2006. He crossed Chinese Bermuda grass and African Bermuda grass. A year later the seeds were harvested, the grass was tested and studied all over the country until 2018 and it was grass good enough to be at the Super Bowl. A high quality grass that compared to other Bermuda grasses has better tolerance for cold, drought, disease and wear. Now this is the key part here's because had a ton of people on that field all week long practicing and the grass had to be able to hold up to all the stresses and then still be good enough for the football game. The problem here is some of the players were slipping and sliding around last night. And the answer today is it appears it was the paint on the field. They were slipping and sliding where all the paint was on the field. Uh, the grass itself was fine, but the paint seems to be the culprit that was causing the players to slide last night, including the, the poor kicker um, missing, missing one kick last night. The grass apparently had a lot to do with it, but it was the paint on the grass, not the grass.